All right, let's study the Bible. Let's get into the life of David as we've been doing for some months now. We're going through the book of First uh, and Second Samuel, those books, and we're in Second Samuel. Our text this morning is Second Samuel chapter two. We're going to look at verses twelve through thirty-two. We left off last week at verse eleven, so we'll finish the chapter this morning, Lord willing. The topic we'll find there is this: Abner opposes the rightful king, and we see a little similarity in our own lives in areas where we are not fully submitting to Jesus. So the title of our study this morning is, There's a Little Abner in All of Us. Let's have a word of prayer. You'll get it later. Uh, Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for all the wonderful, well, not so much the things you're doing, just thank you for being wonderful. The scripture says you're the wonderful counselor. And I would just think about that word wonderful, full of wonder and and. Uh, Lord, this time of year, you know, maybe if we have children or grandchildren, we can see their faces filled with awe and wonder at things that are actually quite simple uh, because they just don't understand. Lord, you are wonderful. And when we look at you, when we think about you, when our heart is drawn to you, may we as children, Lord, have that sense of wonder. Oh, the wonder of your love that you would look down upon this lost planet, and see wretches like us come and die for us, rise from the dead, so that we might have eternal life and be in fellowship with you and have peace with you, that we might be at one with you. How glorious, Lord. Now this morning, we want to further our walk with you. We want to uh, move along, as it were, in a pace and in a way, Lord, that is pleasing to you. And so I pray that you would speak to us from the passage of Scripture that you've chosen for us. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. And those who agreed said, Amen. Jesus has said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. It's Revelation 3.20. You're probably familiar with it. One man who opened that door, who was saved, was Robert Boyd Munger. He set out to write a tract describing the Christian life based on the analogy of Jesus coming into your life as if he were really entering your heart as his home. The title of the tract is My Heart, Christ's Home. It's a classic. In it, Munger takes Jesus on a tour of his heart home. They go from room to room. They go from the library to the dining room to the workshop to the rumpus room to the hall closet. Does anybody have a rumpus room anymore? I had to say that because it's in the track. That's what they call it. And uh, I looked up rumpus because I didn't know what I knew what a rumpus room was like a playroom. Rumpus is to make a lot of noise. So I I guess our entire house is a rumpus house. Uh, But it's sort of a playroom or today, I guess it would be a theater or whatever. And so but I I like it. I want to personally bring back the word rumpus. Uh, It's just one of those words. Just it doesn't sound joyful. If you're talking to your kids, kids, let's rumpus. I think it's great. So uh, start using that. And when people say, what are you talking about? Say, oh, we covered that in church. And by the way, Jesus is coming. But anyway, so segues. You don't need them. You just go right for it. Uh, So in each room, the author realizes there are aspects of his life he has not really submitted to the Lord. Have you? uh, This is kind of invasive, I know. But have you ever gone to somebody's house 
and and maybe you know maybe they're a Christian and and uh, you see something in their house and you think it's maybe out of place. You think, ooh, I thought you were a Christian. So well, anyway, sort of like that. Only he's doing it in his own heart and he's realizing as he actually brings Jesus into the workshop or the rumpus room, it really gets hairy in the hall closet. The stuff that he's got stuck in the closet, you know, that he wants to hold on to. He's a little embarrassed about what's going on in his heart. And he concludes the track by saying to Jesus, Lord, you've been a guest and I've been a host. From now on, I'm going to be a servant and you're going to be the Lord. And so that's the point of the tract. A track remains popular, I believe, because we can relate so well to it. In our own lives, if we're honest, there are areas in which we struggle or even refuse outright to let the Lord reign. For sure, we can see this in the lives of others. Maybe we don't see it in ourselves, but you do notice it in other people, especially when we are the recipients of their failing to submit to the Lord. Now, this idea of where the Lord is really reigning in my life and where he might not be It's illustrated in our text in the activities of Abner. After King Saul died, paving the way for David to become king, Abner instead promoted one of Saul's remaining sons, Ishbosheth, to be king. If David wanted to reign as king in Hebron over the tribe of Judah, well, that was fine with Abner. But he was not willing to allow David to be king over all Israel, even though, as we'll see, Abner knew that it was God's will that David be enthroned we don't want to be like abner you know the bible is filled with people we want to be like and people we don't want to be like and abner is certainly one of those to encourage us to examine ourselves for abner like thinking we'll see that abner cannot make any progress and in fact he finds himself retreating we'll apply that to our spiritual lives to our walk with the lord i'll organize my thoughts around two points number one Take a look at areas in which you are not making spiritual progress. Ask yourself who is really ruling there. And number two, take a look at areas in which you are in spiritual regress and ask yourself who is really ruling there. In verses 12 through 16, we'll see that Abner was not able to make spiritual progress. Now, Abner knew that God had chosen David to be king. In chapter 3, verse 18, we'll see him say to the elders of Israel, and I quote, For the Lord has spoken of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and from the hand of all their enemies. And so Abner knew that David was the rightful king, but he uh, chose to set up his own king nevertheless. Abner represents a man who knew the rightful king over all the nation, but was acting to limit the king's authority. David could rule part of the land, but Abner would set up his own king and rule the rest. Abner is, we might say, the poster boy for the guy non-believers often throw up in your face when witnessing the guy who goes to church on Sunday but lives like the devil the rest of the week. Maybe nobody's ever said that to you. They have to me or or you've heard that. And they say, oh, you want me to go to to church? Well, yeah, one of my co-workers goes to church and, uh, you know, I'm already better than he is. Maybe he goes to church, but he lives like the devil the rest of the week. And so that's all phony. 
Now, while that guy may not even be saved, I think there's application for us as believers. There may be areas in our lives we are holding back from the Lord, ground that we refuse to concede to him for whatever reason. You can think of it the way Munger did in terms of a a room in your house, a room in your heart. Uh, that's one analogy, but I think all of us can, you know, at least, you know, if you've been Christian for any length of time, you think, yeah, I had an encounter like that with Jesus where he showed me that I just wasn't really submitted to him in that area. Now, one way to know if that is the case is to take a look at areas in which we cannot seem to make any spiritual progress. And so beginning in verse 12, now Abner, the son of Ner and the servants of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went out from Mahanam uh, to Gibeon. Abner intended to take Gibeon and further his progress. In the ensuing events, we see he was not able to make any progress there. Verse 13, and Joab, the son of Zariah, the servants of David, went out and met them by the pool of Gibeon. So they sat down, one on one side of the pool and the other on the other side of the pool. Joab was King David's general. Joab and his forces offered passive resistance to Abner. Uh, they did not violate any, uh, or initiate rather, any conflict. They simply stood in his way. Then Abner said to Joab, let the young men now arise and compete before us. And Joab said, all right, let them arise. Now, this idea of compete is variously understood by scholars and Bible teachers. Some say it was just that, a competition of sorts that got out of hand. It seems most likely it was a way of settling the potential conflict by having champions represent each side rather than everyone engaging in the fight. Now, whether anybody actually ever did this or not, we're... Uh, we have stories of this. It's kind of like back when, when Goliath was coming out against the children of Israel at the beginning of David's career. And he said, hey, I represent the Philistines. You send your champion. I'm their champion. Whoever wins that hand-to-hand combat, uh, will, it's a winner-take-all so that everybody doesn't have to fight and there doesn't need to be a lot of bloodshed. And so uh, it seems that this was Abner's suggestion. He says, let's get our, you know, here's my... 12 best guys, where are your 12 best guys, and whoever wins, you know, uh, that'll be the winner, so we don't have to fight. And as I run this through in my mind, because we're going to see that they all kill each other, uh, it seems like they sent out two at a time, and and the outcome is always the same. Uh, Well, let's read it in verse 15. So they arose and went over by number, 12 by Benjamin followers of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and twelve from the servants of David. And each one grasped his opponent by the head and thrust his sword in his opponent's side, so they fell down together. Therefore, that place was called the Field of Sharp Swords, which is in Gibeon. Twelve champions from each army were chosen to battle one-on-one. Each set of combatants killed each other, so there was no winner. And so two guys would go out, uh, and apparently they only knew one really effective move. Uh, and it was the grab the head, thrust the sword move. It's kind of like in the old Karate Kid movie, 
the crane move at the end. Remember, do you remember it's a classic movie, you know, and there was this move that Mr. Miyagi taught young Daniel-san that no one could defend against, you know, and it was the crane move, which is some stupid move, you know. In the second movie, it was easily defeated. But anyway, uh, and so, so these guys went out and they all, you'd think after watching the first two guys, they, you know, but no, this is my best. I can really do the head thrust, you know, really good. And they're just killing each other. And so 24 guys die. Doesn't that strike you as odd that in 12 matches each time the combatants killed each other? It suggests that the text, though historical and accurate, is trying to teach a spiritual truth or two. Now, from our vantage point, looking at Abner, we'd have to say that he was not able to make any progress. He comes down, he wants to take Gibeon. Joab just hangs out down there, says, I'm in your way. And so Abner comes up with this scheme, with this plan... And he just can't get any traction with it. His champions keep falling. Now, Joab's do too as well. But, but he just can't get any farther than this pool. He and his false king may be ruling over a large portion of the nation, but he could not gain any additional ground. Is there an area in your life where you seem to be unable to make spiritual progress? Among the possible reasons for it might be the fact that you are not allowing Jesus to have full reign of either that area or some other. Now, I was trying to think of a a good biblical example uh, of someone who looked like they wanted to gain ground with the Lord, uh, but instead ended up retreating. And the I think probably the best New Testament example of this is the rich young ruler that Jesus encountered in the New Testament because that's exactly what happened. He he wanted to gain something in his walk with the Lord, but he ended up leaving uh, and retreating. He'd been following the law all his life and he wanted to follow the Lord. He could not put his finger on what was holding him back. Jesus knew what it was, and so we read in Matthew chapter 19, verses 21 and 22, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, in other words, mature, if you want to grow and go forward, go and sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Knowing the young man's heart, Jesus was able to point out that his possessions had taken possession of him, and this is why he couldn't get any traction in his walk with the Lord. Now, in our context, we would say that he could not make the spiritual progress uh, in his walk with the Lord because he refused to allow Jesus to rule over his financial life. The Lord gave him a direct command, sell what you have, give to the poor. He refused his king's command, and he would continue, therefore, to rule that part of his life. Jesus would let him rule. You want to rule that part of your life? That's fine. But you can't follow me. You're not going to gain any ground in your walk with me. Now, whenever we talk about the rich young ruler, we accurately point out it is not Jesus' command to each and every believer that we sell what we have and give to the poor. It was the rich young ruler's stumbling block. Mine and yours may be something completely different. Nevertheless, one of the things that is a, finan- is a stumbling block to people is their financial life. It may be an area in which you are reigning instead of Jesus. There are numerous warnings to all Christians who are well off 
to be generous and to not allow the love of money to become an obstacle in your spiritual progress. And then all of us are called upon to give to the Lord of our finances and to do so, according to Paul the Apostle, regularly, generously, uh, and sacrificially. So if I'm not giving to the Lord regularly, I can't say that this morning. Let's, can we all say that together? Regularly. There we go. Generously and sacrificially, is he really Lord of my finances? If he's not, that might be the reason I'm making little spiritual progress and why I cannot gain certain spiritual ground. Now, we could say similar things about any area of our lives. Maybe we're refusing to submit to the Lord in our marriage or in our employment or even in the church. And thus we keep hitting a wall. As Christians, we believe God's word is alive and powerful. This morning, it can expose such areas if you will allow it to examine you. You need not walk away from it sorrowful. Today can be the day you submit to the Lord and make progress. And so this is how I I think this works. This is how it works in my life if I allow it to. I hear the word of God taught or maybe somebody just shares something with me or maybe I download the Calvary Hanford app and I hear it, you know, however that works. And the word itself is penetrating my heart. It's discerning between the soul and the spirit. Jesus was able to look at the rich young ruler and have a word of knowledge. He knew something about that young man that that no one else knew. He knew that the one problem he was having was that he wouldn't let go of his possessions, that he was the Lord of his own possessions, that that was a kingdom that he had set up. He might look at us and find that or something else. And he spoke the word to him and then that word penetrated and then it was up to the rich young ruler to make a decision. Jesus said, Here's, oh, this is all you need to do. You just need to get rid of your possessions and follow me. And he thought about it. And he said, yeah, I don't want to make that kind of spiritual progress. I like being the king over this area of my life. And and so this morning, as we're sharing this, that's the kind of thing that the Lord wants to do in any of us who maybe have a kingdom that we're holding on to. Maybe it's our marriage. Maybe it's our job. Maybe it's the church, whatever it would be. And the Lord is saying, this is a problem in your life if you want to make a certain kind of spiritual progress. And so just deal with it. And then the choice is left with us. Now, in some cases, it's not just a matter of failing to make progress. You actually can see a regression in your life or in the lives of others. And so our second point, the majority of the verses, take a look at areas in which you are in spiritual regress. Ask yourself who is really ruling there. Since there was no clear champion, no clear winner in the contest between these 24 men, A battle broke out between Abner's forces and Joab's. So there was a fierce battle, verse 17, that day, and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten before the servants of David. Now, the writer lets you know from the get-go that Abner was beaten that day. He was forced to retreat. He regressed. Remember, he's trying to take ground. He's trying to grow uh, his kingdom, but God says, no, this is as far as you go, and in fact, you're going to have to retreat. One particular incident during Abner's retreat is highlighted for us. It's going to have historical significance in a chapter or so, but it also has thematic significance for us this morning. 
Verse 18, now the three sons of Zeruiah were there, Joab and Abishai and Azahel, excuse me, and Azahel was as fleet of foot as a wild gazelle. Zeruiah was David's sister. It's unusual to mention the mother and not the father. And just as a devotion, it's telling us that she was a remarkable gal and had raised three notable boys. Uh, And so just an encouragement uh, to you ladies who labor uh, tirelessly and thanklessly to a certain extent, uh, raising your little ones as unto the Lord. Uh, Zeruah sneaks into the Bible, David's sister. Not because she's David's sister, but because she's a notable mom. Verse 19, so Azahel pursued Abner and uh, in going he did not turn to the right hand or to the left from following Abner. And Abner looked behind him and said, are you Azahel? He answered, I am. And Abner said to him, turn aside to your right hand or to your left. Lay hold on one of the young men and take his armor for yourself. But Azahel would not turn aside from following him. From a strategic point of view, you want to go after the general. You want to you want to cut off the head, as it were. You want to kill the main man. Azahel did, but it seems he did so unarmed. Abner encouraged him to get a weapon from one of his fellow soldiers. And so when it, you know, when it looked like when that last two combatants, when those last two guys killed each other in the famous head thrust move and all hostility broke loose, Azahel got up and he went into his chariots of fire routine. And, uh, you know, he was a guy that, you know, you runners, you know, some of you runners stripped off every, he said, I, I can't afford to have any weapons because I'm as swift as a gazelle. And so he's just going for it, you know, and he's running and Abner's running and he's looking back and he's saying, it's got to be Azahel. Are you Azahel? And I uh, said, just, hey, at least grab a sword or something. You know, if you're going to come after me, I'm going to kill you. And so it's, it's really kind of weird. In fact, doesn't it strike you odd that Azael would pursue Abner with no weapons? What do you think he was going to do when he got there? Well, it strikes me as odd. And again, it puts us on notice that there's a spiritual lesson or two here that we'll get to. So Abner said again to Azahel, turn aside from following me. Why should I strike you to the ground? How then could I face your brother Joab? Before you give Abner any credit for showing mercy, understand this was his motive. If he killed Azahel, then in their culture, Joab would become what was called the avenger of blood. Joab would hunt Abner down and kill him for killing his brother. That's how they solved disputes in those days. You kill my brother, I kill you, your brother kills me. You know, it's, it's that kind of a thing. Actually, they did also have cities of refuge set up. And so if there was a, you know, if there was a, somebody died you, in, at your hand, you could run to the nearest city of refuge and there you would be safe from the avenger of blood until your case could be heard. And if it was determined that it was a uh, manslaughter, not premeditated, then you were allowed to live with certain restrictions. If it was murder, then uh, the avenger of blood was allowed to kill you. Uh, and so this is what's going on. So Abner, he doesn't really want to kill Azahel, uh, you know, because it's a, it's a lose-lose situation for him. He's already lost Gibeon. He doesn't want to kill Azahel because Joab is a bad dude. 
you know, Abner's a bad dude. I mean, these are two bad dudes, but, you know, you don't want Joab coming after you in a blood feud. And so that's his motive. In fact, Joab will eventually kill Abner. We're going to see Abner defect to David's side uh, in the next chapter or so. And uh, Joab's going to say, hey, welcome. And he uses the old hug you and stab you in the belly move, you know, and stuff. And he kills him outright. Uh, so verse 23, however, he refused to turn aside. Therefore, Abner struck him in the stomach with the blunt end of his spear so that the spear came out of his back. And he fell down there and died on the spot. So it was that as many as came to the place where Azahel fell down and died, stood still. This is the old blunt end of the spear trick. And so Abner's running and Azahel's getting closer. And at a certain point, Abner puts on the brakes and puts out his spear like this. And Azahel runs right into the blunt end of the spear. And he's going so fast, I guess, that it goes right through him. Doesn't it strike you as odd (laughs) that the blunt end of a spear could pierce a man yes it does now here's one spiritual application in keeping with our point if you're a christian but are regressing or we would say retreating spiritually god sees to it that you are pursued god comes after you god loves you he's a jealous god jealous in the best sense of that word Uh, we hear the word jealousy and it has negative connotations always uh, but really, you're, you're jealous uh, of your spouse. You're jealous of your children in the sense that you protect them and want what's best for them and you care for them. And if you see, you know, you know, Chaco the clown getting out of a car with the candy and asking your children to get in the car with them, you're jealous for their protection. And, and, that, and so God is a jealous God. Uh, and, uh, you know, he loves you with that. And so God sees to it that if you are lording over an area of your life and it's causing you to regress spiritually, he pursues you. It might be through a person who is trying to tell you the truth. It could come from a message you hear. It could even be from the mouth of a non-believer. For your part, don't run from it and don't try to blunt the message somehow. It won't kill you. Remember, Azahel had no weapons. We don't know what Azahel's intent was in the historic story. What was he going to do? Uh, you know, but from a thematic point of view, we're learning that as I'm running from the Lord, he sends someone or something after me and I don't need to blunt the message and I don't need to run from it because his, his intent isn't to kill me. His intent is to capture me. And take me captive and return me to the rightful king. And so in verse 24, Joab and Abishai also pursued Abner. And the sun was going down when they came to the hill of Amma, which is before Gia, uh, by the road to the wilderness of Gibeon. Now the children of Benjamin gathered together behind Abner and became a unit. And they took their stand on top of a hill. Then Abner called to Joab and said, Shall the sword devour forever? Do you not know that it will be bitter in the latter end? How long will it be then until you tell the people to return from pursuing their brethren? And Joab said, As God lives, unless you had spoken, surely then by morning all the people would have given up pursuing their brethren. Now, don't give Abner any credit. Sure, he called for a truce, but only in defeat. Plus, Joab indicated that Abner instigated the fighting by trying to gain possession of Gibeon, where he was the one who suggested the young men fight. This phrase, unless you had spoken, really means because you suggested it. 
And so Joab is saying, hey, you're the one that came to Gibeon. You're the one that said, let's have the young men fight. Now you're asking for peace. Oh, let's have a truce. What do you think you're doing, Joab? It's all on you, Abner. Now, Abner was safe in his own territory. It's really too bad for him because it only reinforced his decision to refuse to submit to the rightful king. It was a fallback position that kept him in a perpetual regress. It's better really to not have fallback positions if you want to make progress in your walk with the Lord. Don't be planning a way out of a situation or a circumstance God has designed for you in order to grow you and mature you. Verse 28, so Joab blew a trumpet and all the people stood still and did not pursue Israel anymore, nor did they fight anymore. Then Abner and his men went on all that night through the plain, crossed over the Jordan and went through all Bithron and they came to Menahem. So Joab returned from pursuing Abner, and when he had gathered all the people together, they, uh, there were missing of David's servants 19 men and Azahel. But the servants of David had struck down of Benjamin and Abner's men 360 men who died. And they took up Azahel and buried him in his father's tomb, which was in Bethlehem. And Joab and his men went all night, and they came to Hebron at daybreak. Now, considering 12 of Joab's men died in the initial competition, he lost only eight more against losses of 360 by Abner. And so we would say this is a slaughter by uh, anyone's count. Still, the losses were significant, especially since they directly affected Joab's family. It reminds us that when we are regressing spiritually, not only does it take a tremendous toll on us, it also affects our brothers and sisters in the family of God. The losses can be significant on several levels. Obviously, there's a loss of fellowship with one another. Uh, The person in regress can be the cause of others stumbling. They can lead others into sin. And the work of furthering the gospel gets put on hold. We might put it this way, while there is work to be done because people are perishing, we're busy ruling some area of our lives and holding it for ourselves. Are you in a spiritual regression in one or more areas? It may not be evident or obvious. It may not be manifesting itself in massive backsliding. It may be something subtle, something private, something personal. Today's portion of God's word may be the Azahel pursuing you. Admit it. Give it to the Lord. Let him rule over it. He is your rightful king anyway. Be willing to say, Lord, you've been a guest. I've been the host from now on. I'm going to be the servant. You are going to be the Lord. Let's pray.